Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for today's program and CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. We produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my colleagues at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and Twitter, and we welcome any of our listening audience to join in this conversation today by sending us in your questions. We have an editor standing by watching the feed, and she will pass those questions along to me. Let me now introduce today's guest. CIO Leadership Live is welcoming Lisa Davis, who is the Senior Vice President and CIO of Blue Shield of California. Lisa is an innovative global business technology executive with a great range of cross-industry experience in government, high-tech, and now healthcare. She joined Blue Shield of California just two weeks before the greatest global health crisis of all our lifetimes struck in mid-March. So she has joined a fairly exclusive club of pandemic-era virtual CIOs who have yet to meet face-to-face -face with many of their uh, leading technology people and their teams. As an independent member of the Blue Shield Association, this nonprofit healthcare plan serves four and a half million Californians and employs more than 6,800 people. It earns approximately 20 billion a year in annual revenue. Before she joined Blue Shield, Lisa spent nearly five years in tech leadership positions at Intel. The last three and a half of th those years, actually on the business side, where she was managing a nine and a half billion dollar P&L business unit that took care of data center business for the enterprise. Before she joined Intel, she was in academia as the CIO of Georgetown University. And on the government side, she was the CIO of the US Marshals Service. And before that, the CIO of the Counterintelligence Field Activity Office. The first time I actually met Lisa was when she was with the Marshal Service, and it was probably 10 years ago, and she did me the enormous favor of stepping in and becoming an instant keynote on the spot at one of our events in the D.C. area. So I'm always very grateful to her. She's one of those people that you can rely on to just step up and take over. Her deep, experts, her deep expertise in digital transformation, IT strategy, and enterprise-wide modernization especially coupled with her multi-industry leadership experience on both the tech and the business sides, makes Lisa a very well-respected thought leader, social media influencer, and keynote speaker throughout the industry. And if you're not already following her on LinkedIn, I encourage you to sign up. Lisa, it is so great to have you here today. Welcome. Mary Fran, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And it's so good to be connecting with you again. Happy to be here. Yes, good, good, good. Happy to have you here as well. All right, I, I dropped that, that big hint in there about your own virtual onboarding experience. So many CIOs have to be concerned about that for their own teams. You have been experiencing that firsthand. So let's start out talking about what it's like to start a great, big, huge CIO job virtually. Yeah, Mary Fran, it certainly wasn't expected nor planned for. Uh, many of my friends and colleagues say, you know, the universe served this up, Lisa, that you would take a CIO in healthcare role uh, right before, as you stated, you know, one of the certainly um, the world's um, pandemic that we've all been navigating through this year. 
And uh, I was on the ground two weeks. I did have the opportunity. I started in February to, to meet my colleagues, meet many of my leadership team. Unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to meet all of my IT organization. Right. Uh, but was on the ground two weeks before essentially uh, we determined that we need to move to um, a remote workforce. And we actually deployed within four days the entire company into a remote working status. So uh, incredible effort by the IT organization and all of our business partners in making that happen to support the company um, really with zero you know, operational impact. So it's certainly been a unique and a different learning experience. Um, I think it just requires us to engage more, communicate more and build those relationships when you start a new leadership role like the one I have. Right. Well, and when we're um, mobilizing this IT workforce, I know in two weeks you didn't have a chance to meet everyone because you have more than 1,100 people in the technology organization. Yes? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. And um, the when you're and one of the things you pointed out about it well there were two things one was when you're new to a company you do a lot of that face-to-face -face going around the conversations at the water cooler so that culture is absent for everyone right now so i want to talk a little bit about what you've done to sort of fill in those blanks and the other thing I want to talk about is um, a point you made about that age-old stigma of being a remote worker, how quickly it has vanished in the last several months. So let's, let's first talk about the water cooler aspects. What sort of things do you do as a CIO, as the virtual CIO, to make sure you're having some, um, some, some I'm trying to say the similar, similar experience to hanging around the water cooler? Yeah, I think, you know, I think first it's, it's, it's a different experience and we're limited by the tools that we have available to us to connect, uh, whether that's with our own organization or our fellow, our colleagues uh, and the rest of the company. Uh, I think at first it starts with painting that vision. And unfortunately, we love to do that in person. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have the ability to do that. So we leveraged the tools that are in front of us. You know, most of us are all Zoom or WebEx uh, experts. And you have to engage via the tools that you have available to you. But the process and the engagement uh, really still stays the same. It's just through a different medium. Okay. So first painting a vision of where we wanted, where I wanted to take the organization, sharing that with my um, leadership team, my partners within the company, uh, engaging, whether it's in one-on-ones uh, through Zoom, building those relationships, understanding where the IT organization can better serve the business, uh, engaging with different groups around the IT organization, whether that's individual teams, whether that's all hands, but you know we're we're in a place, Mary Fran, where you can never over communicate. You know, frankly, you can never over communicate when you're driving transformational change, even in the normal that we would operate in or doing that in person. Now it's probably even more important to over communicate for people to see you. You know, I still, you know, I still learn that many folks don't turn on their cameras. Uh, how are you going to connect with individuals and see 
see that person, the passion that they're trying to show, uh, what they're trying to share with the company and how they're trying to move us forward. I think one of the beautiful things is having that camera on so you can really see that connection uh, and that passion that comes through in the organization. Yes. Well, and I can understand too, sometimes the camera needs to be off because the environment at home might be a little chaotic. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of sympathy for that as well, because I think that there's, uh, we've all read those articles about Zoom exhaustion and, yes. and even that, that feeling that you're looking someone in the eye, you're really not. You have to, a friend of mine who does coaching in this area says that you have to, you have to remember that the little green dot is your friend and you need to be staring into that dot. Sometimes when I do a lot of these kind of interviews and meetings and I start feeling like I'm getting a little cross-eyed, you know, and, and nobody wants to actually be cross-eyed on camera. Um, let me loop back to the remote working in general. I know yes. It's always been kind of a touchy area for IT because IT people, more than almost anybody in any other part of the company, they really can pretty quickly work remotely since a lot of times they're connecting through systems and technologies. But I love that point that you made about the stigma of it has pretty much vanished. I, discuss that a little bit for me. Tell me what your thoughts are on whether will that last as we work out what the new future work is going to be. Will Do you think that we have really moved to another stage with uh, acceptance of the idea that people don't have to be in the office? Yeah, I think this has been one of the silver linings of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, there was always this kind of preconceived notions that if you're not in the office and you're not seen, um, that you're not heard and you're not getting those, you know, promotions and, you know, mm -hmm. probably even a greater stigma around that you were less productive. Yes. And one of the things we've seen, and not just in the IT organization, but frankly, throughout the entire company, Mary Friend, mm -hmm. is that people are actually more productive. We've actually seen an increase in our net promoter scores. Um, our member satisfaction rates have increased. Mm -hmm. uh, people are working harder. I mean, and that's another whole really, frankly, topic that we could probably talk about is people are working harder and they're working longer because there's this, you know, there's no divide between going into the office or driving into the office um, and then separating your personal life because we're all sitting in our homes and it becomes one long day of being, you know, connected. So, but I think, you know, certainly what we've learned is we're actually more productive. Yep. And there's absolutely no reason we should be considering and thinking more broadly, even after this pandemic of, um, and certainly from a real estate footprint standpoint of really what are those workers that are absolutely required to be in the office? And I, you know, like you said, most of the work that we do in the IT organization can be done remote. And we have actually done that extremely well. And uh, there is absolutely no reason why we can't continue to do that. So as we plan for returning back to work eventually, um, we have a pilot, a task force in place, really looking at those issues, making sure that one, the health and safety of our employees are front and center but we will take that into consideration of ultimately what does the organization look like in the future and what roles and functions throughout the company 
can be done remote. The one last point I'll add is it's really becoming a hiring differentiator and something that I think a lot about because I am I am um, hiring um, onboarding about 150 new people into my organization, including my own leadership team. And as we know, being here in Oakland, uh, California, which is our headquarters, we compete with the likes for talent of the Googles and Facebooks and Intels. Um, and others in the Silicon area here. So you see most of our tech uh, partners out here have said, you can continue to remote work indefinitely. Yes. So we really have to take that into consideration as how will we differentiate? Mm -hmm. Will we offer the same in in our ability to recruit the talent that we want in our organization? Yes, I've had a number of CIOs, especially the ones that are in industries like finance, insurance, healthcare, where they they have always tended to be very corporate office centric or, you know, in you really can't remotely take care of someone as a surgical nurse, for instance. So there's there's obviously different there's obviously different um, modes of operation for various industries. But one of the and one of the points some of these CIOs were all making early on, they said, "Wow, all those restraints now about where and how and who I can hire have pretty much dropped away." And they were excited about, exactly. "Oh, we're gonna." But it occurred to me that they've dropped away for a lot of CIOs. So it's what seems initially like, "What a great advantage!" You realize everybody has that advantage now, and this reminds me of um, telehealth. The, you know, the ability to visit with your doctors and nurses and actually to do it over Zoom or over WebEx or whatever your video system of choice is. What, let's talk about what you've observed and what sort of changes you've made at Blue Shield when it comes to telehealth environment. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it's really driven by, you know, we think about digital transformation in general, and a lot of that is driven by consumer expectations, demand and expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, if we just think about what we expect in our homes today in terms of <clears throat> Wi-Fi <clears throat> capabilities and connections, and when I go into the office, I expect the same level of capability and standard in the office. Mm -hmm. Well, what the pandemic has done has really brought to the forefront, um, you know, what is that experience and how how will people uh, get care? We at Blue Shield certainly believe that the healthcare system needs to be transformed. And this is one of the things that I love about the company that I'm working for is we believe that the healthcare system is currently broke. And part of our mission certainly is to transform the healthcare system. And that is leveraging digital um, technologies and modern and emerging technologies to transform that experience for our providers that are in our network, as well as our members. So one of the things with telehealth is it was brought to the forefront with the removal of all these restrictions that existed before. Mm -hmm. And we were able to make it widely available to our members just when you needed it most. (laughs) And virtual care is, it's really about this care continuum. 
we think about healthcare as a more holistic view of a person's health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And we've seen our virtual care usage more than double between 2019 and 2020. So it really was brought to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Well, and that uh, makes me think too about all the priorities that um, I wanted to ask you about your list of technology and business priorities because every every outstanding CIO mm-hmm. I know has one, you know, and it might just be in your head, your top six, your top 10. But I wondered in these early months, you know, compared to the scramble to get everybody online and to deal with this new remote world, this the, the now future, um, mm-hmm. that that was one thing some months ago. And now we're almost a year into this and we're going to be another six to 12 months probably with very dramatically different circumstances than mm-hmm. we all had, you know, back in January of 2019. So what has shifted up or down your list? Well, you know, Mary Fran, you know, first, I think number one on my list has always been the health and welfare of my employees in the IT organization. And I really think that needs to be the number one, frankly, for all CIOs as we continue to navigate uh, through this pandemic. Um, With that and after that, one of the things we say at Blue Shield that I, I, I really love is you know, one, are you taking care of yourself? Two, are you taking care of your family? And then what is it that you can contribute back to the mission of Blue Shield? And that's what we represent as a company. So I'll start there. Okay. You know, secondly, <clears throat> secondly, one of the things that we have been doing is actually pivoting our entire operating model. So this has been front and center from us. And what we've been doing is transforming the organizational model from a traditional service provider role for the IT organization into a portfolio product model. Mm-hmm. And we're about 60% through, um, through that effort in which we are shifting the organization into customer-facing teams mm-hmm. that support our key lines of business and our key horizontal functions. So number two on the list has always been, how do we improve and drive business value with our partners? How do we accelerate new digital and business capabilities to ultimately enhance the experience for our providers and members? Yeah. So through this shift in operating model is really building and creating this strategic partnership between IT organization and our business partners which is a critical component in order to drive digital transformation to ultimately improve and increase business value. Right. Well, and I always think a great point many CIOs have made to me is um, digital transformation is so ongoing. There's no plug can put a stake in the ground and say, oh, thank <laughs> gosh, we're done with all that transformation <laughs> stuff. You know, I mean, it's just, it's like that big rolling down the hill, getting more moss on it. When you're talking about your business partners, tell me who that world actually includes. You don't just mean internal business units at at Blue Shield. Well, internal to Blue Shield is where the service, uh, our new operating model is supporting. So we have several key lines of business, um, our Medi-Cal business, we have our commercial business, we have our senior markets business. Um, in terms of our growth lines of business that we're now supporting. 
but we're also supporting internal functions, our, our medical and clinical organization, um, our customer marketing, customer care, marketing and experience organization, our operations organization, finance, HR, you know, all the typical organizations that an IT um, team um, has to support. So mm-hmm. all of those are internal in terms of how our model um, is supporting them. Very different from how we were organized and structured mm-hmm. previously. And I do want to I do want to make sure that I don't forget one of the top three, because in the top three of what we're supporting and what's a priority is our efforts around data and analytics, which oh. is really the heart of our strategy is data being at the at the heart of our IT strategy as we continue to move into 21. So I just kind of wanted to finish that. Yes. But then we're also supporting and engaging with many external partners. Right. Uh, many of the big tech fa- big tech firms that we're engaged with because we're really trying to transform how we think about healthcare. And certainly recognize that we need an ecosystem of partners that are going to help us do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know that this operating model change has also involved essentially pivoting from a project management focus, which is so classic in IT. I mean, even now, a lot of companies are doing this, but pivoting into portfolio and product model. What has that been like for you as the the new leader coming in the new kid on the block um what are the kind of messages you found are really important to get across to the it leaders on your team and throughout the it organization when it comes to explaining what does all this mean we're going to portfolio and product models yeah it's quite a shift it and it's not just a shift for the it organization but I really want to make sure to emphasize that it's a shift on on the business, on the company as well, because we're really driving to where you no longer know if I'm engaging with an IT person or a business person, uh, because they're one in the same. They're one in the same. That's how connected we are. And what's really at the heart of the portfolio product model is one a strategic partnership with our business partners. That means that the IT organization is now building their business acumen. They're more engaged with the business teams. They're helping to prioritize um, what needs to be done in order to drive business value and bring time to value. We're now leveraging um, agile, not only from an agile mindset standpoint, but we're integrating agile methodologies so that we can increase that time to value. Mm-hmm. So on the IT side, which, which I believe really resonates with the IT organization, Mary Fran, mm-hmm. is we now have such a critical strategic role into enabling what we want to do as a partner in transforming healthcare. Yes. We're just not keeping the lights on, keeping the network running, making sure our laptops run. You know, I consider all those things table stakes. That's That to me is what operational excellence is about. And I've always believed you have to have operational excellence in order to engage in this new model, such as a portfolio product model, because at that heart of that model is trust. Trust between IT and the business in working together to ultimately accelerate 
business capability to market. Yes. So, right, that critical role that the IT organization plays, and at the heart of that, again, and I'll, I'll just beat this drum up for our entire conversation, is about data and analytics. Because every company today um, is a technology company. Um, and we have to think that way in leveraging technology and being a data company, because that ultimately is what's going to differentiate me in market. Yes. Well, I can remember um, when years ago, a lot of businesses, I remember the first time I, I noticed this and kind of sat up in my seat and listened was when you had like the CEO of a major airline saying, well, we're really a technology company that happens to fly airplanes. I feel like now the shift is going to be, we're really a data company that happens yes. to Healthcare. I think that we've all gotten so familiar with that. I have one of those questions from our alert audience that's tuned in with us here. And it's asking, I think you've partly answered this. It's about the challenges you faced in digitally transforming legacy systems throughout the organization. What are they? Are they the big, are they the big obvious hurdles like that mindset of being a service provider and kind of getting people to think about it differently? Or are there additional challenges you'd like to tackle here? Well, I think when we think about legacy systems, you know, in order to really be agile and flexible, we all need to think about from an IT perspective being cloud first. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, if I have, if I still have mainframes, thank goodness we don't at Blue Shield, um, is really, you know, starting with your data center strategy and your overall looking at your enterprise architecture. And, and, you know, this is one of the things that I'd love doing at Intel in my data center role is really helping enterprises understand how do I move from these legacy environments that I am in really being a cloud first and data first company. Yes. And many times that process, Mary Fran, is about one, understanding your data, where your data sits, where these workloads are, and then working through a process of workload placement. Uh, what makes sense to move into a public cloud? What makes sense to be in a private cloud? What makes sense to remain on-prem and yeah. make maybe legacy? And what I found is that most enterprises, like we are at Blue Shield, are a hybrid multi-cloud environment. Unless I'm a company that's been born on the web and I don't own infrastructure, yeah. then most likely I'm going to be in and uh, the public cloud. But if you own uh, infrastructure and depending on what sector or what traditional enterprise you, you are, you're yeah. gonna have a hybrid environment and a multi-cloud environment just with the use of software as a service, mm -hmm. as an example. So that would be my recommendation is to really first understand current state, uh, mm -hmm. where your data workloads are, and then build a strategy uh, with data at the center point of your thinking in terms of what your business, your mission, what your company strategy is trying to accomplish, and then make those decisions around how you begin to evolve and modernize your environment. Okay, excellent. Now, I just, just a word to our audience. If you're just tuning in now, I'm here. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, and I'm here with Lisa Davis, who is the Senior VP and CIO at Blue Shield of California. And we're about to launch into talking a little bit more about 
building those portfolio teams, that mind shift change that you have. You mentioned to me that it, there's basically two things you have to do. You have to build the business acumen and you have to prioritize and solve those unique opportunities when they come up to really transform what's happening with healthcare. When you look back over the last several months, what are some of the things that come to mind for you that have been especially successful and what has been more of a challenge? Yeah, well, we're certainly on our journey and we're applying an agile mindset to the journey as we continue to learn and iterate really Mary friend on the model um, to make sure that we have structured it correctly. So let me get a little bit more detail as to what that looks like. So let's say previously the IT organization you know, in support of our lines of business, we might have had one or two people in terms of maybe a liaison role that would service and represent the IT organization to support that particular vertical or business. Mm -hmm. What we've done now in a portfolio model is we've created a customer facing team. Now, what is in that team is a portfolio leader, Mm -hmm. a solution delivery leader. And then it's made up of representation from all the various parts of IT. So I have solution architects, I have business architects, I have security personnel. Mm -hmm. um, I have engineers that are sitting in there. And the part that I really love is that we've integrated our data and analytics team into the portfolio model. Oh, okay. Okay, so you can imagine if you were the business, you've now moved from um, who do I call in IT to try to help me get something done to now having a dedicated team engaged with supporting your business. They are ecstatic, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. What we've been really iterating on is not only standing up that team, but also now bringing agile into that process in terms of how we think and in terms of how we engage and do development uh, with our business partners. Yeah. I think some of the really quick wins um, that I'm seeing is one, a trust, I think first and foremost, that's being built between IT and the business. And, and that to me is priceless uh, starting there. Um, two, we're just getting really more efficient uh, in terms of driving prioritization of what must be done. There's never, there's certainly never a shortage of work or requirements coming from the business that they need IT to engage in. The fact that we're solutioning those together, we're discussing what is more, most important to the business. We're prioritizing based on time to value mm -hmm. for the business, mm -hmm. really accelerates um, and helps drive that capability even faster. Mm -hmm. So we've launched four portfolios. We have three more to do. I think the biggest challenges are, frankly, it's new for IT and it's new for the business. One of the roles on the business side that we're still evolving is the business product manager. Yeah. So you can imagine moving from projects, and we have a lot of projects, <laughs> moving from that 
project mindset, and now we've mapped all of the projects into a product view that sits within each portfolio. Okay. So what's yet to come is now we're looking for business project managers that are going to drive the life cycle management of that product and enhancements. Mm -hmm. And the piece that we still need to do is align the financial model to support the new portfolio product model. So these are all of the things that we'll continue to iterate in 21, but we're already seeing um, greater capability, faster uh, a capability in terms of time to value, and most importantly, a better partnership with that data and analytics piece also integrated front and center. Now give us, tell us just an example of what one of those portfolio teams, uh, like what are they called and do they have a subject matter expertise? For instance, is there a portfolio that deals with all the Medi-Cal, uh, Medi-Cal yep. firms, for instance, is that how it's organized? Exactly. So we're organized against key lines of business. So our key lines of business would be our Medi-Cal business, which we call it Medi-Cal in California, in case those folks that are in California are, are a little bit confused. Um, we have our commercial markets business that we support. And one of the portfolios that we'll launch after the new year is our Medi-Cal, Medicare business, as senior markets business. So we have three lines of business that we are um, aligned to and provide portfolios to, and then take those products mm-hmm. for each of those business and aligned a product to each portfolio. But we also use portfolios to support all the typical um, organizations within the company that everybody has, such as um, marketing, Mm -hmm. uh, operations, our medical and clinical uh, organization, which we refer to as HEQA. Um, So all of those are supported and corporate services, which be our last one in which we have HR and finance and our actuary organization, part of the corporate services portfolio. So second quarter by next year, we've launched four. Mm -hmm. Uh, We continue to iterate and learn as we do those four and we apply those learnings to the next one. We will launch our three remaining portfolios to be completed by second quarter in 21. Wow. Okay, we have a related question to this, which I think fits in beautifully. It asks about managing the risk of mismatched business expectations and the services and portfolios provided through IT. Are there any limits on them? Do budgets shrink in some areas? Because you you know how there's a, a certain entitlement that our business units get. And the IT, uh, the technology people never want to be the department of no. And so I think, <laughs> I think that's a very difficult line to walk between saying, you know, great idea and we'd love to help you with that, but here's our priority. So talk a little bit about that, about the, you know, the limitations or the challenges with the budget for all this. And do you run into, are you the one who deals with those mismatched expectations from the business folks? That was a great question from our audience. So thank you. Keep those coming. Yeah, it, it is a great question. And, and frankly, this was one of the biggest challenges that we had in kind of our old existing structure 
where we have you know typical verticals of application services and security and infrastructure and and so forth um, is that the business's appetite is always greater than the budget or frankly the capacity of IT many times mm-hmm. to support so it is always a delicate business and we don't want to be in the business of no and one of the reasons where I reason I'm so excited about the portfolio model, Mary Fran, is that it actually enhances the collaboration um, and uh, an engagement between IT and the business so that we are jointly solutioning as well as jointly prioritizing um, what it is we're going to do to support them. The other thing that it does is it it then gives us this kind of holistic end-to-end view. And one of the things I love about being in the IT organization is I do believe we're a connector of the dots across our companies Mm -hmm. in terms of work and capabilities that we may be building or developing for one. How can that be reused and leveraged to support something else? And how do we connect the dots Because at the end of the day, it's really about creating and enhancing that experience for our customers, in our case, our providers and our members. So I believe this is going to drive efficiencies. It's going to remove redundancies. And it's also ultimately going to allow us to look, connect end to end holistically about what we're developing, what we're purchasing prioritizing and are ultimately as a team, as a company or an organization, are we focused on the right things Mm -hmm. and are we driving value to our providers and our members? So I think the portfolio model actually improves that Mm -hmm. ability to do so versus the old model that we're working in. Well, and it also has that added benefit of no one getting unpleasantly surprised. You know, transparency within the portfolio teams and, you know, working out things like the budget and what we can and can't do. It's not like any one group ends up feeling like the helpless victim of the other one. You know, that you will, you, you know how users can be. They're sort of like, what do you mean you're taking away this particular piece of software we used? And yeah. anybody, you know, they, a lot of times I think business people didn't feel like they had a dog in the fight. You know, these things are being decided somewhere else off on IT Island. Um, the, uh, one of the other points that I wanted to uh, get into is the uh, one thing you said about the importance of the data and the data analytics and data sharing that the pandemic has really done this in healthcare, shined a light on all of those data sharing dysfunctions that have existed, not just within Blue Shield of California, but probably through the whole healthcare industry. And um, what are your what are your high level thoughts on that? How do you see that proceeding? Because I know uh, from knowing you all these years, I know that you're not just paying attention to what Blue Shield is doing, you're probably watching the entire industry you're operating in now. So what are some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, Mary Fran, you know, as I think about um, certainly uh, data interoperability, data sharing, it actually reminds me back to my government days. You know, I have to share, um, I was in Department of Defense um, during 9-11. 
And one of the things 9-11 did was that it really um, highlighted the lack of data sharing and interoperability between our intelligence agencies. Mm-hmm. And they were really pivotal changes, uh, start, you know, starting with the Department of Homeland Security and such in terms of how we must share uh, and be more transparent, uh, collaborative, uh, in terms of the data that each of the law enforcement agencies or each of our intelligence agencies um, had. And I look at the pandemic of having that same effect um, and hopefully positive effect mm-hmm. on healthcare. You know, like I, like I mentioned at, at Blue Shield, we believe that the healthcare system uh, needs to be transformed and it really needs to be about holistic health and wellness, not just sick care. And we are on a mission, frankly, to transform that experience for our providers and our members. And we believe that it starts really at the center with the electronic medical record. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that electronic medical record, you know, getting our providers within our network, getting other payers um, to share information, to share information on their patients. And I'm sure all of us have had the experience certainly my own experience with my dad, um, who died, you know, very early at 59, you know, had many serious illnesses that no one doctor talked to another doctor. Um, And trying to get, you know, all the doctors to communicate and frankly, be on the same sheet of music Mm -hmm. to ensure that we were providing the best, not only quality of care, but looking holistically at that patient, I think all of us can certainly um, understand and probably have experienced where that has not been the case. And this is certainly one of the reasons that I chose to come to healthcare, Mm -hmm. to not only um, have an impact and bring my experience and knowledge of digital transformation and technologies to help transform healthcare, but, but ultimately to enhance and improve that experience that all of us have. So we at Blue Shield, we have efforts underway, uh, certainly partner uh, with many in our ecosystem to drive data interoperability and sharing uh, with that electronic health record at the center um, so that you have a holistic view and we think about wellness and we also think about those populations Uh, because we know there is disparity Mm -hmm. Uh, and the pandemic has uh, shed a light on that as well, is how do we address our diverse populations and enhance that experience? And one of the things, like I mentioned, the silver lining of the pandemic Mm -hmm. has been, you know, platforms such as Wellvolution, which is about um, wellness and the continuum of care, telehealth to the forefront, um, we've learned through just telehealth business visits like diabetes, upper respiratory infections can be done through a telehealth and you don't have to go to the emergency room. Um, so there's so many things we're learning because frankly, digital transformation has been thrust to the forefront in healthcare, um, you know, combined with that consumer expectation of how are we going to improve this system? And I'm just so excited to be part 
um, of a leadership team in a company that makes that our mission to improve that experience. Yes. Well, and we talked about this uh, earlier when we were getting ready for this conversation today, um, how different it feels to be leading technology in a company that is essentially very mission-based. Um, it's, yes. it's there for health and um, health and well-being moving forward. But I, kind of it, pivoting off that a little bit, I wanted to make sure that we get into talking a little bit about your experience running that that profit and loss center, the PL experience that you gained at Intel, uh, running for three and a half years that nine plus billion dollar unit. What sort of were there any surprises in that for you as you've been pretty much a career lifetime CIO and IT leader, and here you were running, you know, responsible for a P&L, which is one of those things that a lot of CIOs don't get a chance to do. Tell us what that experience was like and what were the, the good, what was the good and the bad in that, that whole, those three and a half years that you spent doing that? Well, you know, Intel is such an incredible company, and just running the PL, um, it was probably one of the best learning experiences that, that I had. And, and I've always believed, and I look for opportunities, Mary Fran, certainly in my career, that those um, roles are opportunities that challenge you and have you step out of your comfort zone is where you have the greatest opportunity for learning. And that's when that growth mindset really becomes front and center. So, so grateful if any of my Intel prior colleagues are, are joining um, of that experience that I had working at the company. But I would say really front and center for me, Mary Fran, is that I had always prided myself as a CIO that engaged very closely with the business. I'm, I'm a true believer that technology, uh, data and analytics, we're enablers to support business priorities um, and drive value for the business. That is what our role is. So building business relationships, understanding the priorities of my business partners, that is what myself and uh, my IT organization um, um, is, des is, is supposed to do. One of the things I learned in moving to the PL was, oh my goodness, I had so much more to learn in understanding what it took to run a business and run a PL. And it actually uh, really um, expanded mm -hmm. my thought of the role that the IT organization could play, which is frankly, why, when I came to Blue Shield, I've now am moving to this portfolio product model because I saw firsthand, one, the need for data and analytics mm -hmm. in order to run my business more efficiently. Um, and that was a critical part of what was missing. Um, I saw firsthand the need for IT to be lock in step with the business in delivering capability that we wanted to bring to market. Mm -hmm. um, what was gonna be required to make that happen? How much more integrated they needed to be in mm -hmm. order to support the goals we had as a business. So those learnings of running that p and I think has now actually made me and hopefully a more effective 
CIO because I've had that experience firsthand of what it takes to be successful in managing that P&L. Yeah. Well, I know for many years we've talked about the incredible operational view that IT always has, no matter what company or industry is in. And we used to talk about it as the helicopter view, because IT was running and enabling all the systems across the business. A, co- a year or two ago, I abandoned the helicopter analogy, and I've been using the central nervous system analogy, which mm. I feel free to use that yourself. I think. I like- particularly works with healthcare. And that idea about how much of a central nervous system to every business and every industry technology has become. And that point you were making earlier about, you know, that one thing going wrong here can have effects everywhere and you can be repeating and spending money in the wrong places. But if you're all connected throughout a nervous system of technology. And I, it also makes me think of those uh, science museum type, those invisible skeletons where you can see all the veins and arteries, everything connecting. I tend to think of IT in, in, that, in that sort of realm. Now, I have, we have one uh, request from our audience about, could you walk us through one of your innovations? Now, I know we've talked a lot about the portfolio and product model. Is there a particular area, is one innovation that you and your team are, are really proud of that you could do just a quick walkthrough for this, this wonderful question from our listening audience? Yeah, such a, such a great question. And, and frankly, there's so many, I'm gonna have to be selective. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use an example of innovation we're driving and what we call in real time claims. So we all know if we have health insurance, you know, we submit a claim, mm-hmm. um, and many times we get that claim paperwork back and we don't understand what's on the claim, what I'm paying for. And one of the things we've done in 21 with our business partners, um, in operations and on uh, the medical side of the house is we wanted to create an experience where going to the doctor um, is like going to the grocery store and you check out of the grocery store, you know exactly what you paid for Mm -hmm. um, and it's a completed transaction. Well, we believe that healthcare should be the same, that I should be able to go to the doctor. I know exactly what I'm paying for. I can pay that bill immediately, Um, the provider, Um, has transparency of that data, as well as the member having transparency of that data and that transaction, and we're done. So one of the great innovations that we delivered um, this year is to show that we can actually do claims, medical claims, health claims, um, near real time, um, and to take what could be days or weeks and get that down to six to eight seconds. And one of the efforts that we'll continue to do in 21 is actually taking now that capability and scaling it into market, which is really exciting. So that is just one example of how we're leveraging digital technologies. Lots of other innovation using artificial intelligence and machine learning and using bots in terms of how we're thinking about all of these emerging technologies and then leveraging them to ultimately improve the healthcare experience. Well, uh, and of all the innovations you could pick to talk about, I especially like that one because I think everybody has had that experience where you go and you pay your copay and you do your doctor visit. Yes. Two weeks later or three, 
something comes in the mail and they're like, oh, you still owe $700 or, you know, something <laughs> yeah. like that. It's like, that is such an unpleasant shock. I think of all the ways that that could put people back two steps on their health journey <laughs> when they open that and they're exactly. like, oh, that wasn't covered. So it that is, I think, one of the, and it's not just medical insurance. I think everybody's insurance questions are that. So that, that greater transparency of knowing exactly what you're getting and what you're paying for. Um, all, all the retailers in the audience listening are going to be saying, well, yeah, this is, you know, we've always been into that. It's great to see these things kind of going across the membrane uh, between these different industries. In our last few minutes here, I want to focus in on leadership and career pacing and all that sort of thing. I think we both have seen a lot of those articles lately about how the the mm -hmm. pandemic is having, we've talked about a few silver linings, but it's had some lead linings for a lot of people, especially women who have had to abandon sometimes full-time careers because every daycares are shut down and that sort of thing. What are your, what do you watch in that realm and what are your thoughts on it and your advice? I mean, you've done a lot of career and family balancing yourself through, throughout uh, your career. Those of us with grown children are feeling incredibly lucky. I try to imagine yes. how this would be working if I had a seven and a nine-year-old clattering around underfoot and I was supposed to be their full-time teacher. So, so tackle that big problem for us. <laughs> Yeah, Mary Fran, this is this is certainly um, a problem we all need to be aware of. We've actually lost about 858,000 women to the workforce due to the pandemic over the last several months. So almost four times as many women yeah. as men are leaving the workforce because of the pandemic. So this is a call to action, frankly. And, and I've been passionate, as you know, and an advocate for certainly women and diversity um, within technology, and we still have an incredible amount of work to do. Yeah. And looking at these numbers, the reason it's a call to action is because this is pipeline. This is pipeline, certainly, that we desperately, from a technology lens, um, need to keep women in the pipeline. And certainly, I view my job is pulling these women forward so that we have more representation of women in the C-suite, mm -hmm. uh, women in CEOs, and frankly, women on boards. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that we need to do in this call to action. And, and first, I think it starts with a partnership with your CHRO in terms of what you could do as a company and what policies can be put in place mm -hmm. to help, frankly, many of all of us that are still struggling and navigating through this pandemic, whether, whether that's flexible work schedules, um, whether this is opportunities where you might have individuals that need to take a step back, take a lesser role. So finding those flexibilities in terms of how we engage. And I think it, it starts with first authentic leadership. You got to know your people and you got to know um, what they are struggling with. And it goes back to that conversation we had in the beginning about how are you doing? How are you doing with your family? And you need to have that transparency and engagement with your employees to know how best to help them. So I think there's a lot of things that can be done in partnership with HR. And, I, and I'm blessed with an incredible CHRO at Blue Shield that we are very much engaged in these issues and engaging to assist our employees, all employees, not just women, but certainly women as well, of how do we continue to navigate? 
Yes. But I also think it starts at home. And, um, you know, I've always been an advocate. Um, you know, one of the reasons I've been able to have the career that I have is because I have an incredible partner and husband. Um, And we look at the demands of the home and the demands of our family and children Mm -hmm. um, as really a partnership. Um, um, And we each step in to support each other's careers. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have that partnership at home, I'd probably be struggling to be able to do the job that I do. So I understand that that is certainly an issue for many women. So I would ask, you know, think about how you can improve. If you're, if you're a guy listening on the call, mm-hmm. um, how can we improve that partnership in the home so that we don't have to have women leaving the workforce? And then think about more flexible work policies and how we engage with our employees to continue to support them during this pandemic. That's great. That's very practical advice. And I think it's, I, I've noticed that before when I've had women in the workplace kind of panel discussions, the people that are the most interested in the room in what can I do tend to be the male allies. Yes. You know, those, uh, you know, there's there's probably way too much press that, you know, the men who don't want to do that get, but there are so many millions of, of our male colleagues out there who have been very pivotal in, in doing that. And I know I, I do a, uh, I write a column about women, women and men in technology and boardroom issues, getting a seat on the board, dealing with their own boards. And I've had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting several women that are running organizations, getting women on boards, and they often talk about engaging their male allies. That is, this is Absolutely. not that one sex or the other can absolutely solve without that help. So thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I know you were a little concerned that what would we talk about for a full 60 minutes and didn't we manage it just so fast? No, that's the thing. When you're having a great conversation, time really flies. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a pleasure talking with you, Lisa, and we really appreciate your taking this time. Mary Fran, the, the pleasure has been all mine. It's, it's always so delightful to connect with you again. Thank you so much for having me uh, on your leadership uh, podcast. Um, I've actually enjoyed it uh, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Good, good, me too. So if you have joined us late in the closing of the show, please don't despair. You can watch the full episode later today on CIO.com or on IDG has its own YouTube channel called IDG Tech Talk. And you can not only sign up for free to see my conversation today with Lisa Davis, but you can also see the previous 50-something conversations we've been doing on CIO Leadership Live since the program got underway in, it was about three years ago. It was November 2017 when we launched. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with Lisa today as much as I did, and that you'll join us when we are back after the holidays into the new year. Here's hoping 2021 will be such a better year than we've all been going through this year. I <laughs> All right. Uh, On Wednesday, January 6th, I will be back at 12 noon Eastern and I'll be joined by CIO Bob Pick, who is uh, in charge of all of the technology and IT strategy at Tokyo Marine North America, which is a Pennsylvania based insurance services company. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And thanks again to my colleagues at CIO.com and especially the CIO Executive Council for their ongoing support and sponsorship of CIO Leadership Live. 
Stay safe and well. Have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll see you next year. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.